Hello, podcast world. Welcome to Vicarious Living, a show about a couple Midwest dudes breaking down all the beauty that is teen drama TV. Welcome to Vicarious Living. Welcome back to the podcast. Episode 8, the finale, season 2 of The Boys with Zerb. Here we go. I'm trying to think how we should go about this one. I So for structure purposes, I think at the end, we should do some awards. Like we'll do a Ryan Phillippe for the whole season, MVP the whole season, uh, MCITW, all that. But to start it out, where where do we start? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we can kind of go through the episode, but let's just start with what do you think? Did, did the finale live up to what your expectations were? I don't want to kick this podcast off with a negative start, but I'm be honest, it did not live up to my expectations. I had a similar feeling. I, cause yeah, I, I also don't want to be like negative because I still loved it. loved the show of the season was happy with like, I had fun watching it, but I kind of came away from that episode specifically as a season finale. And it kind of just felt like, kind of like normal TV choices. Like they kind of kicked the can down the road on a lot of storylines. I thought in the end yeah, um, and didn't really kind of give some of the resolution I, I wanted. And then I'm sure we'll get into a couple of uh, little bumps along the way, but it was not quite the huge explosive finish. I was hoping for or expecting. I agree. I, I think I, and, and what I was trying to figure out is, was it actually not that great or were our expectations just so ridiculously high because of how unbelievable season one was and how we envisioned season two was like building, building, building to an explosive finale where it didn't really go that way. It was kind of just like building, building, building almost building for the the first episode of season three is how I took it like this. There wasn't any cliffhangers, really. It was just like, here's a couple storylines that we could envision moving forward in season three, but it's not like some big cliffhanger. Yeah. No, to answer your question, I think it's probably like 80% our expectations were just ridiculously high. 20% them kind of not hitting stuff out of the park. Uh, but I think that's well said at the end there, not anticlimactic of what happened in the episode, but just like going into next season, it's just a little bit blah. Yeah. Coming into season two, like when season one ended, I was like, oh my God, he fucking showed up. The wife is not dead and there's a kid. Fuck. And he had yeah. just killed Madeline. So it was like, where the fuck is Vought going to go? And I didn't have that now heading into season three, but let's go through it though. So it starts off and essentially Butcher's wife has escaped. They've taken her son. And so a big plot in this finale is like, is Butcher going to get their son back for his wife is essentially the main plot in this finale. Yeah. Uh, we Last episode, we kind of just kept calling him the boy. We couldn't come up with his name. His name's Ryan. 
and it was a <laughs> un- I'm just calling him little bitch. <laughs> uh, it definitely, I thought part of what the weakness of the episode was was that it was too Ryan centric. Oh, it needed my to God. have a decent amount of Ryan, but it had a, it was too Ryan heavy. It just just as a te- like a teaser. Ryan is going to show up in a lot of nominee lists for the end of season awards. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had the same thought. Ryan, yeah, a, a whole lot of Ryan, like way too much of this season was put on that little bitch's back. Yeah, I, I, a lot was engineered. They don't do it. You got Carl Urban sitting there. You know, put the, the car. Season, yeah, you got Carl Urban's beard sitting there. <laughs> Put put the whole fucking season on the back of his beard, and I am not going to lose a second of sleep. But a whole lot being put on this little bitch. So there's simultaneously when Butcher is going after the kid, we're starting to see that there's there's a lady team up, which we we've, yeah. we've pretty much predicted that Maeve and Starlight were going to all team up. We definitely called that, and that was probably the easiest call for anyone who's was watching and paying attention, trying to predict anything was that Maeve was going to join up with them in some form or fashion. I did wish that I would have really gone all in on them doing the whole lady team up thing. Uh, start Cause they, they tipped their hand way back early in the season with that girls get it done thing. There's no way we can restore the grid. If we don't get that flash drive to the tower. But how are you going to get through all of them? Don't worry. Girls get it done. <laughs> and then when it, when it happens in this episode, like Frenchie even says, like I guess girls do get it done or whatever. And it's, it's yeah. a little, like, all right. It was uh, well. Let we'll get to the uh, lady fight scene. That's the only thing I texted you about leading up to this podcast was during the lady fight scene. It was a struggle. We're gonna wait on that though. Where this episode starts to pick up steam is that a train like betrays the seven to get himself actually back in with the crew. And the way he does that is he feeds information that Stormfront is a Nazi, essentially, to, like, the boys. Yeah, he steals some secret files from the Church of the Collective. And uh, so A-Train overhears that they're not going to let him back in the Seven because Stormfront's got a problem with them. So he he steals that the secret files and gets them to uh, Starlight and Huey, which kind of tips everything in motion because then they can take that information public. And we finally got a picture of her with Hitler. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was kind of laughing because I'm like, yeah, we've seen her with all the other guys, but where's just the, the boom like shot for America on like their hero sitting with, you know, one of the worst fucking human beings of all time, which they did finally provide. Slid it in there. Um, I she had another clip just talking about her sucking. I just thinking about this now. She had this clip where she was talking to Ryan and uh just her bedside manner in terms of talking about like the racial tension in this world. Here it is. But I don't really hate anyone. Oh, well, that is very sweet, Ryan, but it's not something we can afford. We're under attack. We are bad guys want to hurt us just because of what we look like they want to wipe us from this earth just because of the color of our skin really it's called white genocide and we're gonna need people like you to protect our kind 
It's like Jesus yeah. Christ, lady. I've uh, I've said way too many times over the course of this pod how like they're not subtle, but the on the nose stuff works. I thought this was a couple times with Stormfront, and this being one of them, it was like what like that's a lot. <laughs> like, it's a lot. All right. Like, yeah, it was more like Charles Manson esque than yeah, because and, and to me it's like that whole that whole thing like with someone like Stormfront. In modern times, the, the people who are the ring, they don't really believe that shit. They just kind of go with in that direction and like they don't really stand there and say there's a white genocide that's actually happening and people actually want to kill us <laughs> yeah. with the color of our skin. It's like it's all inu- insinuated and, and stuff like that. But she it's just her and Homelander and this kid, and she's saying that, and you're like, Do you are we supposed to think you actually believe that that people are trying to kill all white people? Cause that's that, clearly that, not a thing that's yeah. happening. That to me is when she honestly flipped from like, Oh, she's just, she's taking this stance because it's a weird, like all crazy way for, for her to get like people on her side or whatever. Wait for her to, to stir up anger and people yeah. And everything. incite yeah. people like she did with that guy at the beginning of last episode right. with brainwashing. But then, like, the, yeah, this was her just turning into Charles Manson, where she legitimately think that, thinks that there's about to... Wasn't that Charles Manson's whole thing? Like, he went to jail and then came out, like, convinced that there was an imminent race, like, war where everyone from each race was going to try and kill each other kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, he had... He definitely... That was part of his whole thing that he uh, convinced was convincing his followers of and... The acid didn't help. Yeah. So so she's like mm, like a day away from just having a Nazi, like putting a Nazi tattoo under her forehead like Charles Manson. <laughs> but so, okay, let's go back to, should we just go to the whole butcher thing then? They, they get the son back and just go from there? Yeah. So he, butcher just straight up calls Gus Fring, Stan Edgar, and sits down with him to like negotiate to say, I know that Homelander's kid is the only leverage that you have over Homelander to keep him doing what you need him to do. Uh, and I know he's missing. I can get him back for you. But the the twist is that he's going to, he's going to give the kid back to, he's going to give Ryan back to San Edgar and not let Becca go with him. So he's going to make it seem like Vought stole him back and they're hiding him again. And now, Becca is able to be back with him. And so it's the whole thing that's kind of been coming about. Obviously he's going to have a choice to make about doing the right thing or not with this, with Ryan. I knew he wasn't going to do that. There's no way. (laughs) Exactly. And that's kind of what I was getting at is like, he's, even though he's an anti-hero and he's like, uses bad language and shit. Like you you ultimately know he's going to do the right thing. Yeah. And, and so he does the right thing. And then Stormfront, like when they're trying to get away, she like stops it. She catches them, even though Butcher now like he's good with his wife, him and the kid, they're all going to escape. Stormfront stops them, flips the car over. And when that car flip happened, first off, I was like, no one's injured. The the car barrel rolled 17 fucking times after it was lifted off the ground and everyone just got right out of the car. That was a flaw. That was a, that was a definite flaw. No one, <laughs> I, no one even had any injuries. Like Brian even. would have been fine because he's a natural born superhero, but MM and Becca were dead as fuck. 
<laughs> yeah. So they get out after this grotesque car flip. And um, now we just get the lady fight. Should we just get into it? The lady fight? I think we got to get into it. I, I texted you and I said, it's going to be so hard to not sound like the biggest male chauvinist of all time when I'm discussing this. But I'm going to try to walk that tightrope. My main issue with it, and this is a fight between Stormfront, Maeve, Starlight, and Kamiko. So Stormfront's the strongest, so it, it's totally fine that it's like one on three. It's a fair fight one on three because she's like 100 years old, super strong. My issue was you could tell that all the ladies in this fight were so unathletic with the way that they were editing yeah. it. Like the quick edits, I had no idea what was happening. And it was close. Like it was super close and quick edits. It was choppy as fuck. I legitimately felt like I was watching Liam Neeson in Taken 3, where he's like an 85-year-old man, and it's clear that he no longer can like move the way he did in Taken 1. So like they edit him like so choppy and quick. But I swear, if they just did a long shot of this girl fight, it would have felt like Robert De Niro in that uh, movie. What's that new one where that five hour the Irishman, the Irishman, <laughs> where he's like an 80 year old man, like kicking someone. Yeah, the, the scene start. where he's yeah, yeah, he's supposed to be de-aged to like 35, but he still moves <laughs> yeah. like an 80 year old man. That's what yeah. it would have looked like if they just did a long camera angle of that lady fight. And again, I'm not saying it's a girl guy thing. I just think those particular lady actors must have been super unathletic. Yeah, and the the main trick that they used in the editing was that they just it became like a circle of them just kicking Stormfront while she's on the ground, right? Instead of instead of any actual like hand to hand choreographed fighting, so it was just either uh, yeah Stormfront slash Starlight like from far away doing their like powers and like, yeah. putting their fingers up, or yeah. them being in a circle and kicking her while she's on the ground, which isn't really fighting, so. It, the whole the whole thing was just felt forced. It felt. <laughs> Look, I'm all for like again. Who knows how much I'll be able to actually keep in there with uh, when I listen to myself back. How bad I sounded, but I'm just saying like it was not well done. It was not well done from like an editing perspective. It came off really choppy to me, and it seemed like they were doing it for like a reason, and it was to hide these actors. I don't know. Yeah, it, it is. It, that was definitely, like you said, it's not the guy versus girl thing as much as it was just like the execution, <laughs> the way that they handle it in season one a little bit, where they're kind of putting the emphasis on how, yeah, Starlight between her and Huey, Starlight's the one with the superpower. She's the badass. She's the crime fighter. She could obviously destroy him but he's not intimidated. And that's kind of why she's part of why she's into him is he's like, yeah, that's great. It's awesome. I love that. You could kick my ass. I, I have not insecure about it at all. So it's like that, that dynamic works within the show and them being on equal footing works within the show, but it's when they have to be like, Oh, we're just going to focus on this. It's like, but does that make sense within the show to focus on that? Yeah, I, I know. I think there's ways to do it like Wonder Woman, for instance. I actually really liked Wonder Woman. I thought that movie was the best DC movie that they've had in a while since like The Dark Knight. Like 
what yeah, they did praise, but what they did what yeah that's that's literally me just saying <laughs> that it's better than like so the it was, dawn of batman movies with ben affleck <laughs> but, it was better than suicide squad really yeah so but how it worked with her kicking all that ass was like slow motion they slow it down so your like sense, your relative sense of speed well, and power also, is Gal, thrown Gal Gadot off. can pull it off, and yeah, Gal she's Gadot athletic. can totally pull it off. Totally, yeah, definitely. So and they put the effort into choreographing the fight scenes and everything. That's the effort part is what got me on it. It's like it seems like so low effort to just do a combination of like holding your fingers out to make sparks shoot out and kicking someone who's on the ground and not any like sweet kung fu. And like yeah, punch blocking and, and let's let's see some spinning kicks or something in here. Some jujitsu, something. <laughs> so we've belabored it enough. We were not fans. Let's uh, just leave it there. We go from the lady fight to. Before we completely move on, because okay. it's part of the next thing too. Yeah. Is to me before the the thing that like it immediately jumped out at me more than the the actual fighting and then it happened again right after it was the the deus ex machina kind of like just Maeve just shows up mm-hmm. it's like oh Maeve's here to save the day i figured she was going to be involved at some point but how is she here where, i don't know from? i <laughs> my thing with Maeve is i love her so much and i'm just so blinded by my love just happy for her. To see her. yeah i i yeah i did not think i i spent like an hour breaking down that lady fight scene and didn't spend another second thinking about how Maeve got there because i was just so happy she was there <laughs> yeah it, i mean they needed it because there was obviously right before she showed up there was a moment of like oh how how the fuck are they gonna get out of this and the answer was Maeve's just gonna pop up out of nowhere and call stormfront a kraut and punch her <laughs> yeah so that's what the- happened hold on Maeve pause on her because she she comes back again and I have more thoughts about yeah. when she confronts Homelander at the end but um yeah. the the very next scene though is the big scene where Stormfront she like flies out of there but then she finds Becca and Ryan first off Becca stabbed her in the eye with a knife that was badass I love seeing that that was badass yeah that was sweet as shit Stormfront just pulls the knife out of her fucking head. She's like about to choke Becca out. And then we get Ryan going into little bitch hero mode and he lasers the fuck out of Stormfront. We did not predict that. We predicted like a Kamiko Stormfront battle. We com- we predicted a, was it who? who Homelander else? Stormfront. Yeah, Homelander Stormfront. We predicted all these battles, but literally it was Maeve, well, Maeve it was and like everyone teaming up together. Yeah. So I feel like a couple areas where I, I got my predictions right was I like I definitely thought that Ryan was going to in a short period of time of being away from his mom and being with Homelander and Stormfront be like these people suck they're bad people I miss my mom even though she like quote unquote lied to me my whole life I want to go back with her she's the good person so there's that piece uh, but then the other thing is I I think it did kind of confirm that. Ryan is the most powerful one. Ultimately, he's going to be the most powerful one because we did find out in their messed up BDSM sex scene that Stormfront could handle Homelander's laser eyes. Yeah, but Ryan. Oh, oh shit! Yeah, dude. Good point. I didn't even think about that. So true. 
Fuck, his lasers are more powerful. And if so, I know, so he's going to ultimately have a leg up on Homelander. Definitely, that's a good catch. And if I know anything about Bloodlines, dude, from Underworld, it's that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the 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 more <laughs> like the next generation that gets born at into your Bloodlines, like on down the line, becomes more and more powerful. If I've learned anything from like so, the ten Underworld movies. So, so assuming this this takes place in the underworld cinematic universe, then yeah. that's definitely true. Yes. So Ryan's got extra powerful lasers. Wow. That is going to be a big storyline. Can we get the actor of Ryan to be re- like the Trey Atwood replacement treatment going into season three? You know what we actually might need? Although this probably can't happen because the other storylines is just like a... Uh, what should One Tree Hill didn't One Tree Hill do the, the, the jump forward? Oh yeah. Skip the college years. Instead of skipping the college years, they can just skip the pre-puberty years. Comes skip back pre-puberty. and he's Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly who I had in mind. Oh, it's fast forward five years, and it's the kid from Hunger Games <laughs> with really powerful. Oh, he's, he was eight last year and now he's 36. <laughs> Dude, they do it all the time. They did it with Caitlin Cooper in uh in the OC. They can easily work some some magic they did it with tim riggins they made him like four when the uh season started in season one just bring in just bring in taylor kitsch or yeah <laughs> he fuck. can play ryan next year so, and he's done it he's played he's played young before <laughs> do you have any other follow-ups before homelander gets to this kill scene well i mean it's not really a follow-up but there's some collateral damage he ryan doesn't just laser oh, yeah. yeah stormfront he accidentally gets gets his mom in the neck a little bit and she's bleeding out and uh, has Dude. has time enough just for a couple of last words with Butcher. I mean, come on, Ryan. You can't control your lasers a little better than that. This kid sucks, dude. He sucks. <laughs> I know he's a kid, but he, like... He doesn't have a lot of... He doesn't bring a lot to the table. He kind no. of just pouts and cries and screws up. He's also the worst crier of all time. Like when his mom was bleeding out and he's like, is it my fault? Is it me or whatever it's. And he's just like, let me put it this way, dude. He's no Haley Joe Osmond from the sixth sense in terms of kid acting chops. He does not. It's it's, it's unfortunate that grown up Haley Joe Osmond, who's fat and hilarious was already in season one (laughs) and can't just come back and play Ryan next year. He can't come back as a nine-year-old. Yeah. 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 It sucks, dude. He's in all these hilarious roles in the last few years. He's so funny. Well, yeah, he kind of, what he did, which was good, was he just realized that the joke is definitely on him. And he like was self-aware enough to buy into the fact that, no, I'm not cool. I'm actually like a laughable joke. (laughs) He, he, He leaned in and he just takes all these roles playing like, fat kind of unlikable losers <laughs> yeah yeah Problems. so homelander shows up and we just think all right homelander is about to kill everyone he's obviously pissed he's gonna kill his new bullshit son and he's gonna kill butcher easy but then we did get like an awesome feeling of okay for the third time in this episode Maeve's just gonna show up again out of nowhere Pop in there yeah right in time and i was again Jack cityed about this. Yeah. And I was like, 
oh, it's totally going to come to fruition. Everything we've been saying about, dude, it's going to be Maeve. I know she's going to have a, a standoff with Homelander. He's going to kill her. And it's going to be like such a shitty final battle. And then we didn't. Yeah, dude. In my head, like in that moment, as soon as she popped up and said, like, stop them, she says, like, you're going to let them go. And if I don't. Don't die with them. Let them go. You're going to stop hunting Starlight. You're going to leave me and Elena alone. Or I release this. Great. In that moment, I was like, oh, it's happening. They are about to square off and Homelander is probably going to kill her, but not right away. Like it's going to be an actual battle. Um, and we'll see Homelander maybe get tested a little bit and maybe we'll get a train riding in to get uh, butcher and Ryan out of there. And like starlight will come through and help out. And it'll just be like a team up of a team of superheroes against Homelander. And it'll be a better fight than the, all the girls trying to beat up Stormfront fight. And it's going to be super awesome. Yep. But instead we basically got a repeat of when uh, black Noir was about to kill butcher. Exactly. The same thing. Yeah. Like, oh, I've got a video that you don't want to get out. And I will give her props that like it was a good strategic play of like, hey, you know you're not going to physically beat him, so use some mind games here. Show him the video. A little blackmail never hurt anyone. Understand how much he wants to be loved, and this would totally crush his PR with like the American public. So like, good play by her for sure. It's just. I think it's why the overall grade, I think, of this finale, I'm going to put it at like a B minus versus an A. And it's because I feel like they had these little misses all over the place like that. Well, it follows up, too, with after. So after it works, after the blackmail plan works, it kind of goes to a press conference and it's Homelander like throwing Stormfront under the bus. So this is what I was referring to before is ultimately he chooses to go against the whole Nazi thing, which we predicted um, that we but, predicted that. Right. But it's after, unfortunately, like I, I was super bummed that it had to happen after she got killed. So he never really, he didn't have to betray her or anything like that. She yeah. died with them still being uh, a couple. I, how I had it in my head was like midway through this episode, a train gave him all that shit with Stormfront's a Nazi. The, they leaked it to the public successfully. Now everyone in the public knows Stormfront's a Nazi and all this shit. I thought how it was going to go was like she was going to be battling the Maeve or something and then Homelander was going to show up and then like all eyes were going to be on him. Like it was on video or like it was in a town school, like in downtown yeah. New York or something where like America was staring at him and then to your point, he had a decision to make of like fuck right i can either join mave against stormfront and just kill that nazi bitch even though i'm totally on her side so america doesn't hate me or i become hitler and they even they even tipped their hand that something like that was coming a couple times because throughout the episode before the showdown stormfront would say something like we're like we're almost there we're almost gonna you know be past all of this like bullshit with the screaming fans and 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 trying to have to seek the adoration of all these you know subhuman idiots or whatever and you can see on homelander's face he's like but i like that 
I like all that stupid shit. Yeah. Like, I like the adoration of everybody. And like they, they, they do a couple things, including when she's giving the whole white genocide speech to Ryan, where like they're going to his face and it's like they're tipping that he's like, I'm not really into this. <laughs> yeah. But then it just they, it doesn't pay off. I, and to, to, pay to off. that point, I thought they were giving Homelander like redeeming shots this whole episode. Like there were scenes with him and Ryan where it was like, shit, yeah. Homelander's actually being like a cool dad for the first time. Like, what the fuck? They're, he's trying. He's trying. He like he's too fucked up to actually be a good dad, but he's trying. And like that's the like you said, they're humanizing a little bit that he's actually making an effort. Yeah, because he was trying to bond with him, and he was like, "Look, I'm I'm yeah. I'm trying to help you out. I didn't have a dad. I was raised by a bunch of scientists, and like it fucked me up my whole life. So like I'm gonna try and like right that wrong a little bit, and like show you well, how to actually." The crowd handle. made me cry. I get. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Again, huh? Homelander is just layered up, dude. I mean, this guy is more layered than anyone else in the show by far. Like he is just layered up. So layered that the, that his last scene in the season is him standing on the edge of like, oh. a skyscraper overlooking the whole city just jerking off, telling himself, "I can do anything I want." Dude, that was like I, I could never get that like on a poster or something, but that was the most iconic ending scene. That itself might bump it up to an A for me on this finale from the B minus. <laughs> that it was just the ending scene of Homelander with his his superhero pants down around his ankles on top of a skyscraper, just beating off with the moon behind him, like shining like he's Batman with his cape flowing in the background. Her. For your episode 200 gift, I'm going to get that poster signed by Anthony Starr for you. That would be amazing. I would put that up in the podcast (laughs) studio and then hope my parents would never stop by. Let's, I just want to caveat everything by saying, are we being a little harsh and critical of this finale season two? Sure. But I feel like we're on the team. We want, only what's best for the team and we're the biggest cheerleaders of the team and so if we 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 just feel like we could do better you know as a total squad like you and i can probably do better as podcasters the show can probably do better on the finale episode that's all we're saying opportunity dude yeah i mean opportunity nobody nobody tunes in to this team podcast (laughs) to hear us just suck off the show every time yeah, they want to hear the criticisms along with the praise, dude. So it just shows that criticism. we care. We care. Okay, let's get some positive. Maybe in here. too much. We can- <laughs> yeah. let's get some positive in here. I thought the deep. He had like less than thirty seconds of screen time in this entire finale, but goddamn, was he efficient in that thirty seconds of screen time? He just slays every time. Every time. Hey. I mean, he gets, he just gets shit on constantly by this show. Like every scene is him getting, someone's taking a dump on his face, but two massive uh, W's for me in this finale episode for the deep one, when he was going up against, he was like yelling at that church of the, uh, I was about to say church of the Scientology, Um, (laughs) the church of the collective. He was yelling at that guy. And he did a real unreal, like 
in the heat of the moment jerk off motion to the guy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, hey man, fuck you. And he did the jerk off motion in his face. And he's running down his list of things he did uh, for the church in order to get back into the seven. Like signed, he signed over his bank account, all this stuff. And one of them is that he he married this weird chick that gives <laughs> shitty BJs. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just gonna play his his lines. I signed over my bank account to you. I filled out all those fucking children's workbooks. I married some weirdo who gives terrible blowjobs. I, I I did everything you asked, and when I found out that we're all just fucking space bores, I didn't laugh. I did everything you asked because you said you'd get me back in the seven. You fucking promised. I'm sorry, Deep, but you are acting like a toxic personality. I think you should leave. Fuck Fresca. Fuck Fresca. <laughs> Which I didn't understand. I thought Fresca was going to come back at some point as like a reason why they were highlighting it so much. And it never really did. So I have no idea why they just kept doing that other than like the director maybe just loved it as a kid and thought it'd be funny. I feel like there's something it's like right on the, it's one of those like tip of my tongue things. Like I feel like there's some cult thing somewhere where it's not Fresca, but it's something that they're really, always drinking oh drinking the kool-aid um, maybe that like that on not not the kool-aid no not like not like the suicide thing like something Jim that James. actually weirdly they're into like how the all the um insane clown posse fans all drink uh fago like there's, so, there, there's yeah. something weird that they're playing off of yeah maybe I that's guess. it maybe they're doing they're, they're making fun of icp yeah maybe juggalos um all the boys are cleared that was also another fortuitous thing. The season ends again, like we were saying, everyone in the sevens back together, kumbaya, everything's copacetic. And then also everyone in the boys is just, they're all free. They all, all the charges have been dropped. They're cleared of everything. They can all meet up with their families and like stop hiding and stuff. Cool. Yeah. And this goes back to your, like, I guess we're, this is, there's no cliffhanger and we're just like going to see what's going on next season. Oh, they give us a twist coming up, obviously, but for the most part, it's like, so the boys are cool and Vought is not in legal trouble, even though they were a couple episodes ago having like congressional hearings and shit. It's the seven's just going to be the seven and they're going to be acting like stuff's normal and the boys are free. Like what is, what's going on here? Now we do get a twist, but Okay, let's just go to that twist. Maybe maybe you can help explain it to me. First off, that lady, uh, I wrote her name, Victoria Newman, who's like, mm-hmm. what is she? She's a politician who's running a... She's supposed to kind of be like uh, an AOC. Like They were riffing a little bit on AOC with her character, it seemed like, for most of the season in terms of being like the young upstart liberal... Um, member of Congress who's trying to hold Vought accountable. And that's her whole thing, is she's trying to hold Vought accountable. Okay, I watched the whole season and barely remembered this lady. Like, I when she when they did this twist at the end, I was like, who is that again? She's She's been on the screen like five yeah. seconds. She, she was in and out. She was like, they were, she was the one who was always getting, trying to get people to testify, whether it was Lamplighter or whoever else. So she, I mean, she was in the mix, but yeah. So last week we were trying to like predict 
what was going to happen, what was going on, who was the person exploding the heads, all this stuff. And they definitely, we didn't guess it because they definitely went with like the ultimate, like misdirect in left, that, left field. Yeah. They didn't do anything to, to tip it. It, it. it was just like, Oh, here, we're gonna take this character who's been involved and hasn't, you know, had any major part of the storyline. And they're the one. We assumed it was the girl who es- escaped from Sage Grove, who was the one who exploded all the heads. Cause we already saw that that was, her I didn't ever, I, I guess I didn't think it was her. Yeah. You thought it was, I thought it was Gus Fring. Gus Ring, but that girl never came Not back. Yet. Not yet. Pat and I have talked about this a lot. This like Chekhov's gun rule where it's like, you don't introduce something like Fresca or that chick who was exploding hens heads. And then midway through the season, you saw that she didn't die. She gets in a car and it's like, Oh, what's going on with her? It's got to come back at some point in the Fresca never, never really made sense. And this, that lady never came back. Yeah. And I just, I think that's again, where where i had issues with this finale was i I think that possibly the um the chick from the uh sage grove the mental hospital place i think that may have been an intentional misdirect where they're like we just we want you to think that this is who's exploding heads but i was thinking about this after um after we recorded last week it couldn't have been her because the first person whose head exploded was earlier in the season when they were going to meet with the CIA lady and she got her head exploded that same way. So it never made sense that it was going to be her. We just, I mean, I hope that that they bring that character back because to your point, it's very Chekhov's gun that they just like, they, they, they showed her at the end of the episode, like hitchhiking and getting in a car. Right. Um, So I think that that character has got to come back, but I do think that they may have, intentionally like use that as a misdirect as well okay well i'll give them the benefit of the doubt um i hope it was and and it was a misdirect that i just didn't see coming but yeah so anything else on uh, before we get to our end of season awards with this victoria girl or any of that so the cia lady mallory was offering butcher to like fund the the boys the team as the off the books, keeping an eye on the soups team. But the person who was in charge of that task force, like officially the, the, the money and everything, the, the government side was Victoria Newman. Right. So that's, she why said, I, that's what Mallory said. So, so she, if, if butcher would have said yes, it would have actually been, they were right under her thumb. So I think butcher kind of was like, no, fuck that. And like walked away and Frenchie's off with, uh, Kamiko MM's back with his family. Huey's could be on his own, but he's deciding to go work for her. So it's going to be like they're going to have to come together off, you know. Oh, I, again. I took Butcher walking away when he didn't say anything, put his sunglasses on as he was saying, like he was down for that. You're saying, no, they're all splitting. They're not going to do that task force. Uh, yeah, I thought it was him saying, like, I'm walking away from all this. Could be. I, I, I think in general, what I was thinking about this is, as you were talking, I think I feel like the show like outsmarted itself almost like they could have just like taken the, the easy double and they're like swinging for like a home run. I do think that from the butcher walking away, one's supposed to be a question mark. So I, 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 th- I took it as a question mark, but I think he's walking away, but I, could be a question mark, but he's going to, he's going to be in it. But he, he very pointedly did not answer her question. 
I did, yeah, he did not. He did away. not. I think you're right. The more I think about it, maybe I just, yeah. I mean, I think you are right. I just have a lot of questions, dude, just in general. Other than the fact that this Victoria Newman politician character with secret superpowers is going to definitely be a central villain. Other than that, it just feels like they decided to go, all right, we're going to start with a clean slate. It might as well be the beginning of season one again. And then yeah, it's kind of... It definitely is. Other than, other than the fact that now Huey and Starlight are like an official couple, everything else is kind of like, all right, blank slate. Yeah, and maybe that's what they wanted. They just wanted a reset because this was an extension of season one. All the storylines were kind of extended into it. So maybe, yeah, it's just like, hey, we want to start completely from scratch. I don't know, dude. I tell you what, yeah. I will be I mean, watching. If, if, there was, if you're going to say there was one storyline that got like tied up that was two seasons long, it was uh, Butcher and Becca. It's kind of like the driving storyline between the two seasons connected. Yep. And that got wrapped up. So I guess they're, yeah, they're going to find some new central uh, like emotional piece to drive the rest of the season going forward, starting season three. Yeah. You ready to give a little Ryan Phillippe? I think it's time. It's easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice. We sitting here, we in here talking about practice. We talking about practice. Not a game, not a game. Not a game. We talking about practice. We talking about practice, man. Practice? I mean, how silly is that? So this is the Ryan Phillippe Practice Hero Award of the entire season two of The Boys. This is the award for the guy or girl who's doing a little too much, a.k.a. Ryan Phillippe in every movie he's ever in. I have four nominees. If there's anyone I'm missing, feel free to add to the list and let's have a conversation. First nominee, this guy is Ryan Phillippe in all the lovable ways. And I, I don't take it as a negative that he's on this list, but number one is the deep. So this is a structure as opposed to how it's coming off. So like he, he's physically like within the scene, the end, he's doing a lot, not making you feel like he's doing too much. Yeah. It's it, who knows. It might not be too much, but he's doing a lot in a good way. So he's number he's one. Doing it yeah. He's it, it's all it's all how you want to interpret the award. But I have him on there as one. Number two, Ryan, the kid. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was the very definition of a practice hero. When I think of practice hero, I think of Ryan, this little bitch. Yeah. If you're going with the like, if this was the least valuable character award, <laughs> he's the winner. Oh, he makes he makes a couple other lists too. So uh he's he's two. Number three is the entire church of the collective. I think just as an institution, they're doing way too much. A whole lot of practice heroes running around in that fucking church. Number four, basically due to one scene and one scene only, and that's the fact that he is severely addicted to porn and it is lamplighter so that makes the four number one the deep number two ryan the little bitch number three the entire church of the collective or number four lamplighter how say you 
I was wondering if you're going to throw my addition was going to be Lamplighter. And I, I honestly, I think it's got to be him because he's only in like one full total episode between the two episodes that he's in. And he is really, I mean, he gives it a hardcore <laughs> do it, like shoot me, do it scene. He burns a, a guy alive. He burns himself alive. He gets really into talking about cucking people's wives and while he's watching porn and trying to get Huey to watch porn with him. He's, he, he's really going for it the whole time he's in this show. So I, I think yeah. it's him. I, I'm totally comfortable with that because I think some of those were stretches and it's different ways that you can interpret, you know, what Ryan Phillippe means to you. But I do think at the very core of the Ryan Phillippe award, I think it works best when it's like, this guy's not a starter. He's riding the bench. He's trying so hard in practice. And the starters just like, dude, guy. Hey, Rudy. Yeah. If this was the, if this was the actual like exact same definition as the Dion waiters on rewatchables, the winner is obvious, and it's the deep, because the Dion Waiters award is for the guy that's coming in off the bench to your point Hot. and just fucking drilling threes. <laughs> yeah. Just comes in, plays five minutes, hits six threes, grabs a few boards, maybe has a turnover or four, and like you're just like, holy shit, that was wild the whole time he was on the court, yeah. slash on the screen. That's the deep. I think the Ryan Phillippe Practice Hero Award is a little bit more negative, a little bit more about the effort than it is about the results. <laughs> yeah. And I think the effort on Lamplater is higher. Yeah. Well, I, really, get, I always you, get you can, confused. Can, like, <sighs> I get confused because I'm like, God, I love Ryan Phillippe so much. But you got to keep in mind, like practice heroes all do blow ass. So just because like we love Ryan Phillippe as a human and as an actor, and is it just like the as, overall... as a guy to uh, as a maybe friend. smoke weed with in yeah. college one time <laughs> as a as a <laughs> as a close personal friend to you i we get as a, conf- as a business contact <laughs> we get confused on how much we love him but but yeah dude so we're gonna give it to lamplighter um the next award is obviously the mcitw haven't given one of these and our fine sponsors they're like craving for some love so MCITW, that is the Marissa Cooper, is the worst of the week. It is the award for the worst piece of shit in the entire show, season two of The Boys. It is brought to you by Wicklowware, W I C K L O W Ware. Be free and explore. Get all your outdoor gear at Wicklowware.com. Type in the promo code VL at checkout. Get 10% off your order kits. That's $30 on the baseball tees, $40 on the hooded sweatshirts, $20 on the tanks. Be free and explore. Go to Wicklowware.com for all your gear. Okay. I have three nominees, and I just went straight hate on this like there wasn't a lot of analytics it was just straight hate number one obviously stormfront she's got to be on here no no qualms um number two ryan (laughs) yep knew he was gonna be on there and then number three is he just had a bad season two dude i loved him and i do love him in general frenchy yeah yeah he had a bad season two it was bad season dude he needs uh, this off season he needs to go away, work on his personal game, come back stronger and better and ready to contribute next season. Yeah, I think there's a real strong argument to be made for the Frenchie Kamiko relationship as the MCITW. This one, even more so somehow, even more so than the Ryan Phillippe Award, comes down to your interpretation of the category. Because, uh, yeah, worst person, biggest villain, 
it's obviously Stormfront. Um, I'm assuming Ben J is going to give her the MVP <laughs> of of the show. Well, <laughs> she's, she's the equivalent not, of the not, of the old rich white guy. Yeah, but she's <laughs> not she's not a male, and she's not. The second the words "white genocide" came out of her mouth, <laughs> Ben J gave her the MVP. Ben J's gonna be so mad when he hears this. <laughs> He's gonna come off like such. A... The only the only way he could like a uh, a character more was if uh, Gus Fring, Stan Edgar, was white. <laughs> then he could like him. <laughs> Shots fired. Ben J, you're gonna have to come yeah. on. You know, Ben J did request, and I'm really excited about this. He requested to be the guest for the girl next door which I am super jacked mm-hmm. about. So when he comes on for that, he'll have to come on and just totally defend himself. I mean, uh, so Ben J, um, enjoy all that. So uh, let's just say who, but yeah, so we hate the most. I, I know. I was just, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of working my way around to it, okay, which is go ahead. the Kimiko Frenchie thing is like that kind of grinding my gears the most just throughout the season. I think that Stormfront's obviously the biggest villain, but MCITW, the way I interpret it, it's Ryan. I mean, he just was like, God, come on, get like, he's the person I'd replace if I was going to replace someone. So he gets the award. I was going to give my MCITW completely independent of whoever you chose. If you took the, you know, Stormfront is the biggest villain and clear winner or whatever, I was going to still go against it because 100% in my mind, how I interpret the MCITW, it goes to fucking Ryan, dude. He's the worst in every I'm glad, scene. I'm glad we have the same interpretation. Every scene. At least Stormfront had like, she had a couple like little quips here and there. Like, sure, is she like severely racist and uh, uh, full on Nazi? Yeah. But she had a couple lines where she, like we played that one where she was saying Pippi Longstocking would have bit that dick off. That was just funny line. But Ryan, dude, zero, zero redemption. Lines, scenes, anything. He sucked always. Even when he saves the day at the end and kills that Nazi bitch, Stormfront, he kills his mom at the same time. So I was going to say, man, little bitch, and he even kills his own mom. Kills his own mom. So, Ryan, you get it. Get fucked. Get bent, bitch. We hope you're uh, replaced by Liam Hemsworth in in season three or Taylor Kitsch. Be free and explore. Get fucked. Or Haley Joel Osment in a time machine. In a time machine, Haley Joel Osment. Final MVP award. Do you want to just give it? I had a couple nominees, but if you just want to give it. No, let's hear hear the noms. I looked at three. I said, one, Starlight. I really felt like from beginning to end, Starlight was a, a massive churning piece. She left the seven. She joined the boys. I really thought that she had an MVP performance. Maeve also. She's number two on my list. Obviously, I love her. And then number three for me, just based on churn, would be Homelander. Yeah, I mean, I think Homelander, like you said before, he's still the one with the most layers. Um, I didn't think his... this. I, I think if the, seed, if the finale would have gone the way we wanted it to and hoped it was going to go, I think Homelander probably wins it. Um, but it kind of went out on a whimper instead of a bang for him. So I don't think I would go with him. I, I, I like both the calls on uh, 
Maeve and on Starlight. Um, I mean, Maeve had her whole she she had her brave Maeve storyline going. <laughs> um, she she came through at the end, uh, saved the day twice in the finale. Uh, yeah, and like you said, throughout the season, Starlight was driving a lot of it. But because I didn't like through the the full storyline, I didn't feel like anyone came out as a huge winner. Just the the MVP for me this season was Deep. <laughs> I just he he cracked me up every time he was on the screen. He did nothing. Nothing. He had nothing to do with anything. Just fucking cracked me up the whole season. So I'm I'm going with him because nobody else nobody else came out and grabbed it. This is Andre Iguodala in the finals a few years ago. Just kind of like no. there's no one that really earned it. So I'm just gonna give it to the guy who I kind of enjoyed watching the most. That's a good comp. Yeah, that's a perfect comp. I agree. I it's funny. Like talk about a guy who was given so little and how much he did with that little like in this finale what do you think his his screen time was a total of in in an hour and 15 minute long episode under two and a half minutes that's <laughs> a good check but i think that that might be about right like two and a half minutes and we still highlighted him on this podcast so yeah dude maybe we'll give starlight the most improved because i thought from season yeah. one to season two she improved the most I like that. I, I'm on board with that. Frenchie, the um, least improved. <laughs> yeah, Frenchie, just like, dude, what happened? You signed a big contract or something, and then you just totally took your foot off the gas. But I like the the little change, though, of instead of putting Frenchie in the MCITW, more so putting the Frenchie-Kamiko relationship in there yeah. in the writing for that, because that's what really fell short in season two was how they portrayed that relationship. Yeah. I think that was probably the biggest swing and miss, including the girl fight. Yeah. Girl fight also takes a big L. All right, dude. Good stuff. Good. I mean, look, we did it. We did the whole season. We did it. We made it. First live podcast going week to week with a show in VL history. So for your gravestone, dude, that's always going to be on there, which is kind of first line on my Wikipedia page. Yep. All right, dude, let's wrap it there. Let's tell those kids to sleep tight. You have a really good night. Sleep. Kids, next week we get back to the OC, go back to our roots, season three, I believe episode two. But until then, you sleep tight. You have a really good night's sleep. And Zerb, tell them what they need to do. Get those eyes clear, those hearts full. And do way less, kids. Do so much less. You can follow us on Instagram at Vicarious Living Podcast and listen to all of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You know you found us when you find a picture of Pat and I sitting on a couple rocks overlooking the vast landscape that is Laguna Beach. Steven's there, just not pictured. Steven and Elsie, both there, just not pictured. <laughs>